Well, good morning. Good morning. If you would remain standing with me and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. While you're turning there, we have some guests here today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Dirk Littlefield, and I'm thankful that you're here with us this morning. It's good to have you. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 50. So if you would, hear God's word to us this morning. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out a person... It passes through waterless places, seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, His mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. As we come to your word, would you... Would you leave us unchanged because we've come in contact with you? Would you do this work? Would you move among us and and encourage us where we need it? And also, as much as we hate to ask, we know we need you to stab our sin and destroy it where, where we have it residing in us. Please do this work this morning. Mold us into the image of Christ and make us more like Him so that we, we would be ones who are seen as the ones who do your will. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we get started this morning, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a large purchase of an expensive item, and then the seller required that you either give them earnest money or some sort of down payment so that you could take that item with you as you attempted to later pay it off. It's very common. When we buy houses and cars, other large items potentially, why do you think that that sort of prepayment is required? Well, one reason, there are several, but one of the reasons is that the seller or the financing company 
want some sort of, fi- of sign that you can actually pay the note. They want some sort of proof that you are good for the money. You may not have it all, but they want to know that you have some of it. We all want signs like that, don't we? We want signs from people so that we know that they can do what they say they can do or they will live up to the promises they made or that they are who they actually say that they are when they introduce themselves. We need these signs, or at least we think we need them from everyone. You know, it's not anything new. The Pharisees also wanted a sign. They wanted a sign that Jesus was actually who He said that He was. But they didn't really need a sign. They wanted something they didn't need. These men had hard hearts and refused to believe that Jesus was the Christ. And so they asked for a sign, not really needing one, because Jesus had already given them signs. And as we've seen previously in this chapter, starting in chapter 12 and through, the Pharisees the Pharisees are avoiding the truth of the gospel. They're avoiding who Jesus is. Because they think they can they can in their own power keep all of God's law. They went so far as to build hedges and walls around the laws and if you didn't transgress those barriers then there's no possible way you would break God's law but what they've actually done by building those is made themselves to be God thinking they knew better than him and so trusting themselves they failed and they're continually showing their wicked hearts this asking for a sign today shows that their hearts are evil and hard The good news is is there's a way to overcome hard hearts. There's a person who can overcome them. The Lord Jesus. And today what we find in this passage as we continue through, it's really part of the entire, it's the ending of the entire part of the chapter 12. We find Jesus once again showing that he can do this. And what we find here today is that wicked and evil hearts can can only be permanently overcome through Jesus. All right, that's the only ever the only way that they can be permanently overcome is through the Lord Jesus. There's three sections here. Tom mentioned in his prayer that they before his prayer that they seem disjointed, but they're really not. We see three major sections, and I hope that we will see this theme of evil hearts working through it. The first part, we see evil hearts are exposed by disbelief. Secondly, we see that evil hearts will worsen in their own power. And lastly, we see that evil hearts can be changed by Jesus. Alright, so we have this theme of evil hearts walking through. So we'll walk through these three sections and we'll, we'll see the condition of the heart, how it can worsen on its own, and then there's the good news of Jesus at the end. So let's, let's dive in here. Let's see how these evil hearts are being exposed by the, or in the life of these Pharisees. Let me uh, ask you to think about a time in your life as we start this section where maybe you've explained something multiple times to someone and then they've asked you to explain it one more time. And you probably have thought, I am going to lose, I'm going to lose my mind if I have to explain this again. 
I would like to say I've never had that situation, but I've actually been on both sides of that conversation. And you probably have too. This is the way the text reads for me. If, you've, if you're following along, I know it's been several weeks since we started chapter 12, but if you're following along through this, this is, this is how it, it reads. Even if we go back before 12, Jesus over and over and over has shown that he's the Messiah. He's, he's healed all sorts of people. He's, he's healed the lame. He's, he's brought back to life a girl who was dead. He's, he's healed lepers. He cast out a demon. That was last week. Made the demon leave. And so there's this sight and this voice that comes back to this man. And immediately after that, so look at verse 38. Then some of the scribes answered him. Okay, so this is a response to what Jesus did last week. He cast out that demon and then he tells the Pharisees, you don't believe because you are a seed of the serpent. You are a brood of vipers. Now, let's not sugarcoat what Jesus said. He called them the children of Satan. That's what he did. And here's their response. We want a sign from you. They just saw a sign. Jesus commanded the demon to leave, and the man who was unable to speak or see, was now able to speak and see because the demon is gone. And they say, and then they're called, they're called sons of Satan because of their actions. And, and then their response is, well, give us another sign. We need more proof, Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you any more signs. Not right now. See, what Jesus is saying, he says, no, no sign will be given to you. What he means by that is he's not some sort of, of person who's a trickster. He's not like we might go see a, an illusionist or a magician to do card tricks and they can do it on command. He says, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not your dog and pony show. You're an evil generation. You're evil, which is referring to being the seed of the serpent, and you're adulterous, meaning that they're going after other idols and not seeing the very Messiah that they're supposed to be looking for. He's standing right in front of them. Those are hard words. We wouldn't really expect anyone in that day to call those religious leaders a brood of vipers or adulterous. Because they, of all people, were concerned about following God's law. By all visual inspection, by anyone that could see them, they were faultless under the law. Paul speaks of himself that way. He speaks of being a Pharisee and he said, I was guiltless under the law. Everyone there that was listening to this is probably thinking, Jesus, you've got to, you're mistaken. Of all people, these are the ones who know everything and follow the laws. And help us to do the same. And Jesus says, no, no, no. They're evil and they're adulterous. Because they're following idols of their own creation and their own pride. And not, and not really seeking after the Messiah. You know, it's real easy for us to look at these Pharisees and scribes too and go, whew, they are real bad. But really, we all have this same temptation, don't we? 
And we always have a temptation to follow other masters. It's very tempting for us to put our politics higher than God in His Word. It's tempting for us to put our cultural acceptance above God and His Word. It's tempting for us to put being important above God and His Word, isn't it? It's real tempting to be important in our jobs and in our homes and even in the church. We will go out of our way to be important and put that above faithfulness. It's very important for us to do that. It's very tempting to put and then fill in the blank above Jesus. And I bet you could fill in something I didn't say. It's very tempting to be like these Pharisees because sin resides in us. What's your heart drawn, drawn towards? What is it? What is it that's wooing to you to come follow me and not Christ? Don't listen. There's something greater. There's something greater and someone greater who has been revealed to us, namely Jesus and His kingdom. And He's given us all the signs we need to know that. Look back at the text with me. He says, I'm not going to do any more tricks for you. Here's the only signs you're going to get. The sign of Jonah is the first one. They all know the story of Jonah. He says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I'm going to be in the grave for three days. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the implication is, come out. He's pointing towards the resurrection. And now on this side of the resurrection, we can look back and say, yes, yes, Christ Jesus is the Christ. He has come forth from the grave. But I think in, in, in Matthew's recounting of this, there's a diff- not only the, the, the proof that he's, he's coming forth from the grave, but really the, the effect that that should have is his focus. Look what he says about what happened after Jonah came out of the fish. He said, Jonah went and preached to the Ninevites, and they believed, and they repented. He's drawn a contrast. You scribes and Pharisees who think you have everything right, you aren't even as good as the Ninevites. I'll tell you, those are fighting words. Those are fighting words to the Pharisees. And he says, look, I want you to see. And he's, he's, he's standing there in front of them and he says, behold, something greater than Jonah has arrived among you. The long-awaited kingdom of God is here and the king of that kingdom is speaking to you. You see, in the passage before this, he says, they said, well, you cast out demons by Satan. He was like, if I do it by the power of the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has arrived and he's pulling off that. He said, that kingdom is here. Something greater is here and you don't believe. Brothers and sisters, something greater than Jonah is here and has come. And we can see it on the pages of Scripture. Jesus has indeed come out of the grave and He he has given us the good news of the Gospel for all who would believe. He gives another sign though too. I I love this. Jonah is a big one, but for a long time was my favorite of the signs that, that Jesus talked about. But after, after 
on Wednesday night, I was teaching through 1 Kings. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, has become my favorite one of Jesus's here in this text, of these signs. He said, the queen of the south heard of the greatness of Solomon. She came to see it. The implication is that she didn't believe it was true. It was too good to be true what was happening in Israel. It must have been a myth. It seems impossible. So she travels. She wants to see the riches and the, she wants to hear of his, of his um, uh, might and how he rules and his wisdom. And as you heard Chris read this morning from that text, she says, it wasn't a lie, except that I only heard half of how great it really is. She marveled at the kingdom of God, the, the earthly kingdom. She marveled at the foretaste of the kingdom of Jesus. She too is going to rise up in judgment and condemn this generation for not believing. They've seen something greater. Something greater than Solomon is standing before them and they refuse to believe. And this demand for signs shows that the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees are evil and hardened. Brothers and sisters, this should be very, very sobering to us. Because these religious men who looked perfect on the outside to the world were more wicked than the Gentile Ninevites. May we not be people like them. Let me just warn you, if you're walking around thinking that you have everything together in your own power, like these Pharisees, and that you don't need to repent and to believe in Jesus, You have a wicked heart, an evil heart. It's going to get worse here as we move into the second part of this text. I say worse. It's worse for the Pharisees and the, the Gentiles here. I mean, I mean the scribes. They, they have evil hearts, but here we see they worsen under their own power. You know, these verses here, we, we read of unclean spirits and seven spirits coming back and Oftentimes, this text is looked at out of context and it's used to try to understand demonology and how demons work. And I think there is something to be learned about demons from that, but that's not really the purpose of what Jesus is doing here. He's using this as an example or an explanation of what's happening within the Pharisees and this evil generation. We know that because at verse um, 45, he says, and so... Also, will it be with this evil generation? He's trying to explain to them what's going on. And here's how his parable or this, this analogy goes. He said there's an unclean spirit in a person and, that le- and this spirit leaves. And it doesn't find a place that it likes. And so it comes back. It comes back. And when it comes back, it finds that the house has been empty and swept and put in order the, the person that, le- that, that the Spirit left has got their life together and their own power. They put everything in place. But don't just look at that part of the description. Notice something else about this house. This person. It's empty. It's completely empty. No occupant at all. There's no demon there. But there's also no Holy Spirit. And so, 
This evil spirit goes and gets some friends. <laughs> well, that's worse than one. You know what's worse than one spirit? Seven. Reinforcements are brought in. We can't have a house looking this good. We've got to mess it back up how we like it. And in the end, that person is worse off. The evil hearts will worsen under their own power is what Jesus is trying to say. You can't fix this on your own. You're an evil generation. You can't do anything on your own to fix it. And if you try, you may get better for a while, but you will completely fail and be worse off. This is exactly how the Pharisees and scribes acted. Do this and not that. Act in this way. Obey not just the law, but this extra rule so the law doesn't broken. And all of that, Jesus is saying, is leading people to death. This same type of thing happens today. We try to fix ourselves and tell ourselves that there's, we, can, it, we can make things better. We can pull up our own bootstraps and we can be better. I, I can tell you, if you, I did this this week. You can just go and do a very quick Google search of self-help books and you get titles like this. The Gospel of Wealth. Self-reliance. Build the life you want. The Greatest Mindset. Unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today. Every single one of those, those titles alone speak to how you can fix yourself and become just like the house that is cleaned up and everything in order. And the reality of it is, you can't. And if you do it by yourself, what Jesus is pointing out is you're not really neutral in this. The, the, the evil spirit may be gone, but you're not neutral. If the house is empty, you're still on the evil side. He's telling these Pharisees, Look, if you don't believe that I am the Messiah, you are evil and adulterous generation. You're brood of the viper. You're the sons of Satan is what he's saying. Look, the same is true for us. You can't be in the middle ground. There's two types of people in this world. Those who reside in Satan's kingdom, in this evil kingdom of Satan. And then there are those who once were there, but Jesus has pulled out and placed into his kingdom. And this king is standing before us today, calling us to believe that he is the Messiah and to enter into his kingdom by faith. We've seen that there's an evil hearts. We've seen that they worsen on their own power, but there's good news. This last section... Starting in verse 46, we see that evil, char evil hearts can be changed by Jesus. It can be changed. We can be different. We can join, using Jesus' language, we can join his family. I find this last section to be incredibly encouraging. He is telling us through chapter 12 that because this, he's doing these signs, he's showing that his kingdom has come. But then here in this passage, he speaks of a kingdom in a way that is very unfamiliar to me in modern, when I look at modern day kingdoms. You see, we, we have kingdoms that still are, are going around this world. They're full of people that are servants to the crown. 
But none of those people are related to one another. And if they are, maybe loosely, some of them a family and some aren't. But Jesus describes his kingdom as a family. And while he's speaking to these Pharisees, his family has actually shown up. And they're like, hey, will you give Jesus attention for us? And they're like, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are at the door. And he says, who is my mother and my brothers? Now, he's obviously, he knows who they are. He knows, he probably can look out the door and say, oh, okay, yeah, there's my mom, there's Jane, you know, like, he knows. And he's not denying that there is family. He's going to use them in, as an object in the lesson that he's giving to these Pharisees. They didn't just happen to show up. Providentially, they're there. And he stretches out his hands and he points to the disciples and he says, No, these are my family. These are, these are my mother and brothers. My family. A new family. A new kingdom. A new people. Jesus' kingdom, his family, are not ones that follow some sort of man-made law to be saved. They're not ones that demand signs. They're not ones that justify themselves. Instead, his family are the people that do the will of the Father. They're the ones who repent and believe and then live out the Christian life. Jesus is turning on its head everything the Pharisees and the scribes believed. They would say, our father is Abraham. And Jesus goes, these are my people. To be in the family, you have to come through me. He's completely destroying these leaders' thoughts. And I hope that you find these words comforting. See, as Jesus' people, we don't need constant signs and wonders to be sure that he is the Messiah. We have all we need right here. We can read of His signs and wonders and marvel at them. And we should trust that when we place our faith in Jesus, He really does bring us into His family. What I love about this family is He, he brings people from all sorts of backgrounds into it. He brings Pharisees like Paul. He brings Gentiles and pagans. He redeems people with light skin and dark skin and every shade in between. He redeems people that speak all the languages. And he brings them into the kingdom. And as we look around, even in here today, we look around, we all look different. But we have a distinguishing feature about us. It's not our eye color or our height or our build or our, our hairstyle, our facial features. Our distinguishing feature is this. We are people who do the will of the Father. We're people who have been changed. And in His family, we live out lives that are pleasing to Him. I find that incredibly encouraging that I can be part of a group of people that don't look like me, yet we are very much alike. Redeemed by the blood of Christ, working to be faithful in our walk. And I think, uh, as I was thinking this week, I, I hadn't ever really made this connection before, but this last section here I think is, is really important when we, when we see the way that the church is structured and the way that the church is planted and the way that 
that the local churches throughout Acts and, and the ones that Paul writes the letters to, the way that they interact with one another, really, they're, they're supposed to be seeing each other. It's these little small pockets of the kingdom, these little small pockets of the family of God. We should see this church as family. I'm not saying that you don't have your own regular families that are biological. Yes, we have that, but really, we should also see this group of people as our family. In context of the greater last section of Matthew, this would be incredibly encouraging for the hearers who were there in chapter 10 when Jesus said, persecution is coming and it's going to pit family against family. And now he's saying, if that happens to you, you have a new family. I know some of you may not have family here in Kingwood. You may be like you cut off from your family for various reasons related to the gospel, but know that you have a family here. And one of the purposes of this family is to help you and to help me and to help each other do the will of God in the form of discipleship and being better disciples. Praise be to God that He's done such a kind thing to us. Now sometimes I've read through this passage and I'm like, yeah, we're all family. And I think of it more in a high level, but I'm like, no, there's a practical aspect to that. We are family in this room. If you don't see God's people as that, if you don't see the local church as family, why not change that view today? Ask that God would change your hearts and help you to see these people that we are gathered with as family. And to embrace this group of people as extended family that God has gifted you with for your good and His glory. Well, we are ending chapter 12 here today. We're going to start walking through the parables in verse, I mean in chapter 13 next week. But I don't want us to leave this passage too quickly. This week, let me encourage you to think about the greatness of Christ and how He's overcome your hard heart, your little Pharisee heart, and how He has redeemed you in Christ, and then how He has made you part of a larger family, but also part of this family. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in this goodness of Christ and what He's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We are thankful that You did not leave us. You did not leave us in the state that we were in before. You did not leave us to our own devices to try to find a way to be reconciled back to You. But you instead have sent this great Savior Jesus and not only redeemed us out of our sin, but brought us into your kingdom and not just into your kingdom, but also into your family. Who would do such a thing except for you? We rejoice in that. Would you help us to see today and this week and the weeks to come how mighty you are in gathering your people together as family? Help us to know what that means. Give us opportunities to serve one another and to love one another and to to put on display for the whole world to see our desire to do your will. And we pray these things in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.